It's an exclusive edition of the FPL Surgery Podcast. Welcome listeners for this exclusive FPL Surgery interview. Very happy to be back speaking to you again. This isn't particularly related to game weeks, but we are very happy to have James York from Statsbomb on the podcast with us today. Iceman, I know you've been very excited about having him on board. Welcome back yourself. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, very excited to have him on. That's a bit of an understatement. I'm a massive fan of Statsbomb. Iceman, Iceman paradise of stats. So we'll get into that. Um, Statsbomb, organisation of football analytic experts, um, they produce their own proprietary data set of stats. So the Iceman is indeed in heaven today and lots to be learned from this. James is currently, so that's not James the Iceman, James York, who's joining us, currently the head of analysis department for Statsbomb. He's involved in a wide range of other Statsbomb activities and projects, also being the host for their weekly podcast that Statsbomb runs. So uh, as we found out off air, he already behaves himself, which is great. He does, he does. So welcome to the podcast, James. Very happy to have you here. Welcome to you. Hey, yeah, hi, hey guys. Uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk football. Why not, eh? Our favourite subject, yeah, we might even uh, breach out uh, along the usual boundaries, Iceman, of uh, just Dickens FPL. Yeah, yeah, we have to talk about a little bit of football for one. A little bit of football. I mean, like as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Statsbomb, the website, the podcast. I know you guys do courses as well, Garden Football Analytics, so look forward to seeing what we can kind of extract from you in this pod, James. Uh, but we just kind of want to link it slightly to FPL regarding stats and things. Yeah, I've had, I mean, I'm no FPL expert, but I have actually like thought a little bit about this mm. to try and like, <laughs> to try and give someone some consideration towards the things that you might find important. I mean, I'm not going to be able to help you win the league, uh, your oh, league really? or anything, but... Oh. Like <laughs> I can, I can offer my opinions, and hopefully some of them will be uh, vaguely useful along yeah, the way. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm really sure they will. But just to get into it, should we, I mean, do you want to tell the listeners kind of who is James York, where you're from, like what's your background, and what got you into stats, and what do you like about it? Well, I think I think you intro did quite a good job of describing my my current situation. You know, I work for Statsbomb. I'm head of analysis. I do the podcast every week. We do a variety of um, uh, different kind of like tasks from a professional perspective. We consult for clubs. We mainly what we do currently is collect data for many many leagues, and you know that's that's the main part of the business. But I I got into it like uh, five years ago, I think. I mean, I was, when I was a kid, I always remember like looking at like assist charts and goals charts in the newspaper and just being like liking the tables and stuff. So there's always that kind of uh, part in me, and I was quite mathematical as well. So you know, you can see where all these things can can link up. But uh, Statsman started as a blog in 2013, and by but I remember seeing it quite quickly on Twitter and thinking like, this is interesting. I like this, and you know, followed it quite rigorously. And uh, Ben Pugsley, Colin Trainer, and obviously Ted Knutson uh, were the main writers back then. And they put out lo- so much content in those early days and they had a good the podcast started as well and Ben and Ted did it and then one week um, I think Ben just said has anyone written a weekly roundup uh, he just tweeted it out and I was I read it and I thought I could do that huh. literally that was my that was my sole thought I could write a weekly roundup <laughs> Give it a and so I did and if it's still vague, vaguely around on the internet after having like 20 clicks in six years or whatever it was but um, it, it's, mm-hmm. it just kind of sparked my interest and from that point on I just kind of kept 
writing every week and and you know eventually wrote things that weren't like generally nonsense and got a bit more smart about everything and eventually got on stats ball and ted said Do you want to come write things on there and then he was in in a club he worked for brentford and fc midland danish club and then i edited this he asked me to edit the site which i did for three years and then he asked me to work for him when he started up for consultancy which then became a data company so that's kind of like my history of like how I got into like numbers and football and stuff. And, you know, it's kind of late, late-ish in life because like I just had jobs and, you know, didn't necessarily have any interaction with this kind of world for, you know, much of my kind of young adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went, you know, moved in this direction and I, I could never have imagined it go from, you know, that first column that I wrote to actually, you know, where it is now. It's, it's quite an, quite an exciting journey that's taken place. Yeah. I also know that for some reason we've let a Spurs fan onto the podcast. Me and Billy (laughs) are both, both Arsenal fans, but we'll, we'll, we'll allow you for this pod. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true enough. Yeah. I'm a Spurs fan and, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we progress this season, but. Obviously, Arsenal have got far greater issues to deal oh, yeah. with. Thanks, thanks for raising that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so should we get straight into the stats questions then, chaps? It's what it's all about. I've had a look at some of uh, James's articles, and they really are, you know, outstanding piece of work. I'm going to start with a direct one then, James. So, how much do you think statistical modelling can predict the outcome of a match versus luck, or to put it another way, how much of what actually happens is or can be foreseen? Well, that's, I mean, that, that kind of, that's really a betting question. And, you know, people spend inordinate amounts of time and effort and energy trying to actually uh, forecast football matches and, and, you know, bet and make money out of it. And it's, it's not easy. Uh, I think they're, Five through eight did a study quite recently about uh, like how they're fought because they do a lot of forecasting with football, football uh, sorry, all sports, and um, they found that I think baseball was the sport that was potentially hardest to um, predict, and fo- football wasn't. Uh, it might have just been football leagues. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was some aspect related. Football was uh, like the second hardest to just predict from a game to game basis. Mm. It's low scoring, you know. Luck will always. Uh, have a big part in in a football match and you know we've seen it time and again a team will take 20 shots uh, the other team will take two lose one nil it can happen I think the African African Cup of Nations was uh, something like that Algeria took one shot it deflected weirdly over the keeper and they scored that was yeah. the only shot they took all game and, and they won one nil so football's kind of kind of a little more prone to that kind of thing than say you know like rugby or um, NFL or other other sports where you will maybe you'll see like the stronger team like prevail um more reliably i mean obviously you know the strong teams will will prevail quite reliably too but it's it's um it's not not a trivial pursuit if you actually want to take it seriously and then like kind of predictions of sport specifically football <laughs> yeah so i mean if we assume that say 40 percent of the eventual outcome is predictable how much of the remaining 60 percent is measurable because of the current technology and where do you feel like the stat industry is going? Well, this this question kind of feels to me like it's related to uh, kind of expected goals modelling. And um, a lot of the – you'll see expected goals models are being used ever more in the media. And, um, you know, we've got a, a proprietary one uh, with StatsBomb, and you've seen them about the place. And they, they'll be slightly different, but um, – people have got ideas that potentially once tracking data is being incorporated into um, uh, modeling that it might actually like 
increase the accuracy. But it's it's tough to know. There's there's a, there's a kind of it feels to me, and this is an arguable point. It feels to me there's a kind of like limit as to how much you can actually uh, how much you can actually predict, even using like you know as as much information as you can get. Like if general event data will cover a lot of uh, a lot of the things that happen on a football pitch, and then mostly uh, kind of modelling and expected goals and stuff comes down to the sh- uh, down to the shots. Like it, for example, with um, the data set that we've got stats bomb, we actually include like the defensive locations of all the players and the goalkeeper uh, uh, at the impact point of the shot to try and kind of create a more rigorous and accurate uh, picture of the um, you know the shot and the stuff that's going into the into the model and it doesn't actually like move the needle a vast difference uh, it does does help and make you know make more accurate kind of like football um, information to go in into the model but it's just it's just difficult I mean what's the rest of the question where does he feel the industry is going I think you know tracking data is definitely something that uh, is is on the up um, and there's a company called Second Spectrum we've just got the Premier League contract and you know that's something that's going to going to happen uh, moving forward um, and you know they're kind of at the cutting edge of analytics people are looking to get uh, tracking data and kind of incorporate it into their modeling and you know understand how to break lines with you know defensive uh, break defenses with passes and break lines and things like that and try and get as far as they can out of uh, event data but we're on the move you know we're still quite early in the curve in relation to yeah. um, technology and football and understanding it and football's a difficult uh, difficult game to understand uh, via uh, you know technological means and the next 10 years is going to be fascinating because there will be leaps and bounds and it's hard to predict exactly where uh, where they're going to occur. Yeah, stats bonds are really taking it to like a new level now, aren't they? I mean, I know you're doing XG to like regarding preceding attacks and where the shot is taken from, as you said, like, and the XG to take into account where the defenders are at the time of the shot, etc. Uh, so you guys are kind of moving it forward quite a lot now, aren't you? Yeah, I mean that was very much part of like why we became a data company. You know, I can't take any credit for this. Ted Knutson is, you know, this mm. is his vision, and uh, he's he's the person who's you know made this happen and very much driven it forward. Um, but you know, we were unhappy with the kind of quality of the data that uh, we could get from the commercial market, and it was a case of like, well, maybe we can do better. Maybe we can actually like uh, devise data set a data set that is kind of like football related. Because I think uh, some of the um, you know I know other data companies like were designed the data specs that they collected were less about football and more about say ratings or something which ironically kind of fits in with the fpl stuff because you know if, if you're designed what do we collect what do we want to collect for an fpl kind of uh, game then you know most companies are collecting the right things but it isn't necessarily um perfectly designed for like football analysis and actually doing doing that kind of work so you know we we thought right we can fill in a gap here and um you know add in things like we've got pressure events and we've got like these these shot locations and uh, you know all the defensive players on shot locations and even pass footedness pass footedness seems like the most simple thing that you'd have in a data set well it wasn't in the data set that we had before now the data set that we've got it is in there and so we can you know look into that and understand uh, tendencies towards uh, players and passing what was that? Pass foot footedness. Pass footedness. Literally, whether it's a left footed pass or a right footed pass, the most basic thing, really. Oh, I see. Yes, I have seen you. You are doing that. You did that with the Messi article, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I did put a bit of it in there, and I wrote about it a little bit before. I wrote about. It, I think it was uh, in the spring, and got really quite a good response from it. I think I was quite surprised because it's been in our. It's been part of our data set for a year, and we hadn't really. 
you know, we've got a variety of like upgrades and interesting features. And then it was like, oh, maybe we should write about this. And mm-hmm. so I did. And then people were like, yeah, well, that's really cool. You know, we haven't seen this kind of stuff before. So, you know, it was pleasing, pleasing to get a good response for that. And, you know, just try and spread more kind of like knowledge about like the detail of what happens on a football pitch. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It is, it is incredible that the level of depth that you're talking about here. Um, so I know that uh, Statsform uses your data to help find potential talent for clubs to buy. I mean, just instantly makes me think Chelsea, Man City, you know, those clubs that are just bursting with players that are either on the cusp of being great or they're going to be farmed off somewhere else inevitably turn up like, like Sancho et al. Um, which, which clubs do you currently work for? And do you have any stories of kind of talent that you found to date? <laughs> I haven't really, I can't really reveal much about uh, I understand. clubs, clubs, okay. that, we, clubs okay. that we do, do work with. Um, yes. one that we're, PSG. We're, yeah, we've, we've pub- publicly acknowledged that we work for PSG. Um, we We've definitely got you know a variety of clubs from a variety of leagues, uh, yeah. including the Premier League Championship. Um, MLS is obviously interested in, in yeah. what we do because the you know, American sports is so much more au fait with statistical kind of work. So we've got you know we've got clubs there. Uh, Ligue 1, Ligue 1, France has been quite a good territory for us, and yeah. you know we've, we've gone all right there. Um, yeah, as far as like you know uh, <laughs> buying buying players, I think the first the first project I did when I came on board at Southampton was a huge project just to kind of like look for young players, and um, it's been genuinely fascinating to see how they've how they've evolved and where they've moved over time because you know slowly but surely a, a decent percentage of them have actually moved into like bigger leagues or bigger clubs and you know where they were twenty or twenty one when we first looked at them now they're twenty twenty two yeah. twenty three and getting their big moves and it's it's interesting I mean I, I was going to mention him later but I think Rodri from who's just gone to Man City like I'd have happily yeah. rec- happily recommended like anyone bought him last summer and it, Man City have paid a premium to get a player with one more year's development. And, I, and I remember, do you know what, last time I remember there was talk of him when he went to Atleti. They were talking about him as the new Busquets and uh, it's right. not a surprise to see City have, have snapped him up as the long-term replacement for Fernandinho going on what you're saying there. Yeah, I, I think he's really good. I think he's, he's, he, he's just he just keeps things simple and t- things just tick over with him. He's, he's just the perfect kind of like link player in that regard. And he doesn't do anything too flashy. He's not elaborate. He just keeps things moving. And I mean, obviously that's perfect for a Guardiola team, isn't it? Someone who just oh, yeah. <laughs> keeps it simple and, and keeps it moving and lets, lets the attacking players do their bit. Is, so. is there a particular, is there sort of a, a few stats with him that particularly would stand out as compared to other players of his age and position? I think it's, it's, <laughs> You'd always kind of like marry like what you see in watching him. Like I actually scouted him a little while back, and I, and I was I was just impressed almost with the simplicity of what what yeah. he did. And yeah. so where he, I, you know, I know not everyone's like kind of in tune with like how I feel how good he is because yeah. he does all the kind of like simple defensive midfield things well. Yeah. Like his pass volume is pretty high. He tackles like quite regularly. We, we've got the pressure data so we can see that he's like quite active in pressing and in his defensive work. But he just kind of like ticks all the kind of basic boxes there. And then when you put that whole package together, he just looks like a really competent kind of player. So I wouldn't say he's, he's like someone who's got an obvious like massive you know, upside from certainly from an FPL perspective, because how's he going to score points for FPL? Uh, I'm yeah. not sure, but like from a footballing perspective, he's definitely someone who's, you know, one to watch and should be a good, good player for years to come. Yeah. So, um, and so in terms of, is he someone you could see being, we wouldn't expect him to be a big goal scorer, but from what you know of him, would you see him as an assister? Again, I'm just linking it to FPL here. So yeah, no. Would no, he be someone you'd be saying he'd be a cheap assisting no, option? No, until until you get like second assists and third assists into the into, yeah. the, into FPL, then I, I think oh, possibly not. 
he, okay. he's, he you know he he he'll probably sit next to De Bruyne and uh, David Silva or Bernardo Silva and yeah. and just feed them and they'll do they'll do the work. Uh, see, I like that straight away. That is useful because now I'm not even going to bother with him, even though I <laughs> even though I highly rate him. I think that's yeah, I mean it can be fun. Who knows? Like you know, you can be in that Man City side and pick up and um, pick up all sorts of uh, like goals and assists just by just by being part of a good team. But I wouldn't necessarily think that would be that. You know, he would be a, okay, a pick. So, so, so let, let me lead on from that. So that, that's an example of how you've like picked up on players. You, you've you've linked it to the stats. Um, as we're an FPL podcast, is there anyone out there at the moment, not that you've worked with necessarily, but you've observed and you think statistically, you know, that they could be a really good shout this year, maybe a young player? Well, I mean, Man City Strike Force is fascinating because I I saw something earlier saying that uh, Aguero is in decline. I don't think Aguero is in decline at all. I think he's fine. (laughs) He's he's 31. He's just rock. But even then, he's rock solid and he's been that good. So, like, you know, until we actually see, like, really tangible decline I'd be fine with Aguero but the point is last season like uh, Gabriel Jesus his numbers when he was in the team were pretty much comparable uh, he didn't. He didn't quite hit the mark, and he, a lot of his time was kind of substitute minutes or maybe against weaker teams. But like, he's, he's easy to overlook. This is the classic kind of like simple goals versus like you know expectation correlation. Like if you, if you just look at his goals, you think nah, I don't want anything to do with him. But then if you actually like stop and think, like actually, you know, he could well actually move forward and and score more. And as he as he uh, grows, uh, you know, becomes a more mature player, you'd imagine that he would. He would be perfectly fine. It looks like he's not going to get shipped out now, as well. I think there was talk earlier in the summer that he might, you know, he might lose his place and go in and might go and buy someone else to to play up front. But and again, I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know the intricacies of like how you have to substitute your your strikers in and out of your team, which I imagine is an eternal an eternal problem where with um uh, yeah managing your FPL team and making sure that you've got got the right players lined up at home against I don't know a, a small team and ready to score a bunch of goals. But he, yeah. He Someone that, that if, if you know if Aguero gets injured and, and Jesus is in the team for like a while, then it's easy to look at him and say like, nah, I don't want him. But I I would be perfectly happy kind of endorsing him to score score more this season. He's just one of these players that we know at the moment is not going to get the minutes. So a lot of the FPL managers could just kind of stay away from him at the moment. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's just one of those players not going to get the minutes, so not going to bother. But um, uh, moving on from that. What do you think the most important stat is for an FPL manager to look at player-wise and team-wise? I mean, like, is is it positional play, like heat maps, shots in the box, key passes? Like, and for teams, like, you know, shots conceded and shots outside the area, etc. What, yeah. what, what do you reckon on FPL terms? I think, like, having had a quick look at the rules and, like, vague understanding of it, I think you, you just want goal scorers, don't you? You want players that score goals. So that's the, that's the main thing in this. Mm. So, like, shot volume, or assisters even, shot volume and key pass volume are going to be really quite useful to to understand uh, like you know if, if players if players are you know going to going to be right for your team I think if I was trying to play for FPL my approach would be to try and be a little bit creative like I, I had a quick look at the numbers like Lucas Dina and um, Robertson from Liverpool both had really similar kind of assist assist like expectation yeah. last season about six goals obviously Robertson created 11 assists everyone's going to be looking everyone's going to be looking at Liverpool this season and think, oh yeah I'll have a piece of that again Dina's uh, created four assists now their expectation was really quite similar okay Liverpool are better than um, Everton but 
I think like in doing a little bit of research I did I did for this pod, like time and time again I came to, came to think of like find Liverpool players that will obviously be popular and with some justification are also slight prime for a little bit of reversion and could like drop back a little bit. Oh, and they'll they'll be really popular, won't they? I mean people will pick Liverpool players left, right and centre just because, you know, off the back of last season. But I think my general view of Liverpool is that they'll probably be just as good this season, but they'll get fewer points just through the nature of like random variants will kind of like cool them down a little bit. And so like, I think personally, if I was trying to play this, I would be like cautious around like which Liverpool players I certainly selected in my team. Right, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you say, you say the same thing about Robertson. It's the same with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. It? Yeah, I mean, it is. So uh, for FPL terms, what do you reckon is the most important stat for a defender? What, what stats would you look for in terms of attacking and well, just defending as well for the team basis? Well, again, like, you know, it all comes down to gold, really. Like, if you can, I mean, what's the setup? Like, you've got centre backs and, and left backs. Can you just pick, you know, four full backs and this is great? Yeah, They're all going yeah to score that's, goals. that's what we do. I mean, like, it, if, if we could, we'd choose Luca Dean, Robertson, like, and Alexander <laughs> Arnold and say Chilwell all in our team, but it's I like, hate, they're I, expensive. I hate that. It's, it's so impure, like, like, lining up your imaginary team with, like, all these. <laughs> fullbacks and no centre-backs and stuff but it probably is the best way of doing things I mean Van Dijk's probably going to be popular he's a player of the year it would be expensive obviously yeah. I was looked, I looked quickly he scored like four goals last season so it's like alright he's a guy that can get up from the back and score goals um, but he hasn't really got a long-term history of scoring lots of goals maybe Liverpool are working set pieces um, to, to his benefit and he will continue to score goals I don't think he's like necessarily someone despite his obvious stature and you know the the idea that he might think he, he was someone who could like get a good, a good amount of goals to go alongside clean sheets and stuff. I wouldn't necessarily think that he would get lots of goals every season. Harry Maguire is another good example, I think. I looked at him. like I think he's got eight goals in five seasons and one, one England goal. And... You could, if you went to Man United, you could think, right, okay, maybe I want to get Harry Maguire. He's a bit of a set piece guy as well. And it's like, I know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's a manager who's actually, you know, the fight, despite the stick he gets, uh, he's actually like not ignorant when it comes to set pieces at all. Uh, so you know, these things could blend together. You could create an idea here that, all right, Maguire with, uh, you know, good takers from Man United, he could score lots of goals. Um, it might not be the case, you know. The centre backs don't score very many goals, and even if you, you know, feel like they might be, they might be the answer for your team, then it, maybe it isn't. I think it's a shame he's going. Koscielny was someone. Right? Like Koscielny scored between two and four goals every season he's played. He always got like, the end of it as well in the box. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you wouldn't pick Koscielny because Arsenal's defence is just uh, shaky. Uh, but and he's obviously going. But it was just like, okay, there's someone who just like consistently, you know, chips in with goals and uh, you know over multiple seasons. And yeah, it's it's easy to get like sucked in by a hot streak. Like, what did someone do last season and think that'll project to the season coming? And it's like, well, hey, you know, you got to be bit careful about that I think and and you need to row against the tide as well it's all very well picking all the same players everyone else goes but you're not going to win anything if you've only got the same players that everyone else has got that's the yeah. part of the change isn't it good point yeah going from what you're saying about centre-backs so like Yeri Mina for example he had a great World Cup scoring like, I think mm. he got three in the end and he's got Luca Dean he was uh, top for defenders last year for chances created with 71 uh, like yeah. he, if he's putting in the crosses for Everton then maybe Yeri Mina might be a good asset but are you you saying that centre backs are like too much of a gamble in terms of attacking returns because they're so sporadic? Do, um, do you they're have- not going to get any. 
they're not going to get any sister really are they you know no, they're not, not going to get many no. so many sisters at all whereas a fullback might actually load up on a few and chip him with a couple of goals so it does you know instinctively without knowing too much about this it feels like that you know uh four fullbacks is the is the fpl strategy that's how we're playing with our team yeah fair <laughs> enough. do you have any statistics regarding goals from corners though and center backs yeah i mean you could, about three percent of uh goals uh, sorry, about three percent of corners uh, scored uh, in in total. If you like train and create good ideas around that, you can probably increase it. But like as a as a rule, the kind of population is fairly kind of stagnant around that level. Um, Ted, who obviously I work for, uh, did work with uh, Midgetland in Denmark, and they they got their corner rates right up by doing like kind of clever things and but you get i think was it one in six corners creates a shot it's not it's not really a high value thing it's not really a high value chance if you if you equate like taking a corner to taking a corner isn't that much different from taking a 30 yard shot it's probably not going to create a goal so yeah i mean over time you might get a few assists from corners but it's probably more maybe it's more worth uh you know focusing on someone who's good in open play i think gilfie sigerson was was a case in point I think two seasons ago when he was at Swansea, or, you know, three seasons ago, or however many ago it was, that last season at Swansea, when he scored lots of goals. I know, you know, he's, I think his creation numbers was really good. I don't remember calling it entirely. But then so much of it was from set pieces. Yeah. And it was like, right, okay, that's that's not necessarily going to recur. Um, uh, you know, moving into a different team with a different manager, different style, it was, you know, he was someone that you could probably leave on the shelf that year and, and think, you know, even though his his numbers look good on from a kind of superficial level, there's there's probably specific circumstances that have contributed to that. Yes, uh, he's he's definitely an option this year. Siggy, a lot of people are going for him. He's with uh, Everton's good fixtures, etc. Yeah, right. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So whilst we're on the topic of Siggy, let's think about the most important stats for a midfielder. Then James. Uh, well, again, I think I'd be looking for kind of expected goals. Like you want again, right? How many midfielders do you get? Four, three, five, <laughs> five. three, yeah, five. five? Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, right. So you, want, <laughs> you obviously want to pick like goal, goal scorers and creators, and uh, you know, kind of fit them into the team. And whether or not they're midfielders or not might be a completely separate issue. Someone like Pogba, I thought was quite quite useful because he he seemed to contri- solidly contribute for uh, like looks at expected goals numbers, and um, he was decent. Uh, in an expected goals and expected like kind of assist values so like he was contributing like two ways in that regard despite people thinking he was a little bit underwhelming on that team and I suggesting I don't think Man United are a particularly good team going forward this season but it seemed like his his individual totals were fairly robust underneath underneath the kind of uh you know the generally good outputs as well I, he'd be expensive as well, wouldn't he? In this game, he's got one of his reputation, and yeah. you know, Pogba's, scored. Pogba's, Pogba's, Pogba's an interesting one because he's yeah, when he's on form, he's on form. But from an FPL perspective, he can go quiet and frustrate a lot of managers, and he's right. usually in kind of a a moderate to high price bracket. A lot of people have been burned by him throughout the yes, season. Yes, they, they have. <laughs> there we go then. So look, look, let's, let's work against that. Like everyone's sick of him. <laughs> everyone's sick of him. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to build a team around him. That's, that's what, honestly, that's what I would probably do now. I'd be like, right, I'm going to be contrarian and just build my team around Pogba or Evan Hazen. <laughs> I would love and to that, see you actually because you don't play the game, do you, James? You don't play no, it. No, no, no. I'll tell you what, my history, my history of FPL, it literally goes back to, I think, about 1993, 
right and it wasn't as far as i remember it was like a radio show like fantasy football was like a radio show in those days and we just did a draft at school i was at school we did a draft and just yeah. everyone picked players and i built my team around carton palmer in central midfield oh what a great pick that is <laughs> who was who obviously contributed nothing to, <laughs> to like the to goals and the assists or anything but it was really good fun we only did it for like a year or something and he drifted off and, and you know never really played it again um carton palmer that's a proper <laughs> So if, if here's the other thing though with Pogba. So I'm going off topic slightly. Pogba ends up going to Madrid, so they sell Bale, they get rid of Rodriguez, they they do the financial fair play, and they can fund him. Do we see a stats bomb article come out of you comparing him and Modric for next season? Because I think that'd be really interesting. Modric is fascinating, isn't he? Because it feels like he he won the world. Well, no, he didn't even win the World Cup. <laughs> he needed, came close to winning the World Cup, and then he was player he player of the player of the year. You know, won the yeah, Ballon d'Or, which which already looks a little bit weird when you kind of like line up the history. You look yeah. at the, the Ballon d'Or, and it's like Luka Modric won Ballon d'Or, bloody hell! Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. He's I mean, he's thirty three now, and he can't be that far off thirty four. So they, they really can't have that much in his legs. And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong he's been an absolutely fantastic player over the over the years and um you know all power to him but yeah really odd kind of situation and and yeah what's madrid's midfield look and look like i mean they got cruz cruz is still yeah. great and we're going to take one of their players aren't we arsenal yeah that, he's uh, Sabalos, yeah. good he, he's decent i mean tottenham were linked with him at one point in the uh, window and i think he'd be a very useful useful signing and you want to get a loan to buy thing on there if it's going to be a loan you don't want to be getting you don't want to be developing players for Madrid and then sending them back. If, if you could well, go yeah, tell yeah. Arsenal transfer team that information, James, that'd be great. That, <laughs> he, he, he would be quite good though, wouldn't he? There's, there was a point like about a week or two ago where it was looking like Arsenal's like potential transfers were not there was nothing there, was there? It was really quite quiet. And he's him suddenly emerging and being a potential signing makes me think like, oh right, that's <laughs> you know that's more like what you should be doing. Yeah, yeah. So just moving on for the next one, kind of discuss Miles' stats to do with Pogba for the midfielders. So, what are the stats that you look for in strikers? Then, what what do you reckon would help for FPL? Is it would it just be shooting shots in the box, you know, touches in the box? Yeah, sure. I mean. Shots in the box is probably a good way of kind of like refining just kind of shot volumes because the first place I'd look would be shot volume. You know, if you've got a player that's when when Harry Kane like uh, had that season that year, with the calendar year really, when he kind of went electric, his shot volume went up from something like three point three, three point five to like five per game, and it was like okay, that's like Messi and Ronaldo levels. And this is a good sign. Mm. So if you've got a player that's like suddenly suddenly getting a lot of shots. And certainly, if you want to refine them into the box, then you're effectively proxying and expected goals model and just looking at the good chances. That's the, you know the whole concept of that really uh, boiled down. Then, then that can be a, that can be a good sign. I think Rashford was interesting last season because Man United were just curious all the way through. But there was the point when they were good for like uh, two months, three months or whatever it was. And Rashford's shot volume, he was playing up front, his shot volume actually increased. And a lot of the stats, uh, people that related in, you know, interested in stats and stuff were a bit down on Rashford when he burst through because he scored goals, but he didn't have any shot volume. He was, he was kind of like two below two a game. And so if you've got a striker that comes in and he's kind of like two shots a game, man, uh, it's it's not really enough. Uh, I think I was a little bit cautious around. I think Joe Linton signed for Newcastle, and I think he's probably quite a decent player, but he just lacks a bit of shot volume. You know, for me personally, from a striker's perspective, I, I like my strikers to be getting on the end of like you know three three and more shots, and if they're getting over up to over four. So you know, if you've got a player that's 
you know, on any team that's like kind of raising their shot volume up to like kind of like three and up to four and a lot of them are in the box then even if the goals aren't like necessarily flowing straight away then you you could feel that was a potentially a decent indicator for the, for the future and that they might well uh, you know get a glut of goals sooner rather than later that's that's interesting especially about the Newcastle sign and yeah so steer away from him is probably the, the key one there I mean you know there's probably other good bits about about him you know from from what kind of player he is but like yeah just literally from the like okay I would have liked him to take more shots and that wasn't the case uh, I don't think last season yeah fair, fair. so let, let's move it to teams so what what stats do you back for showing whether teams have like the best defense or you know, whether or not they're going to keep clean sheets throughout the season yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure about clean sheets per se. I mean, Liverpool, one thing they did like really effectively last season was uh, the expected goals against and the amount of... Liverpool conceded very few shots. Let's, let's make no bones about it. They they last three seasons or so, or at least since they've been uh, under Klopp, they've conceded very few shots. They, they pushed quite high up the pitch. That may have regressed a little bit last season and they might have been a little bit more kind of cautious as to how they pressed and chosen when they pressed a little bit more. But they only conceded about eight shots a game. And I think the interesting thing for Liverpool and like the, the kind of shining light I can see for Liverpool uh, as to if they are in any way going to try and repeat last season is the fact that they were very consistent insofar as they didn't uh, they didn't have games where they skewed weirdly and like conceded loads of shots in one game and then hardly any in the next. It was just consistent week after week after week. They didn't concede uh, many shots or expected goals uh, or anything you know put together. And their defence was very good. I mean, that consistency is is something that I would be interested in certainly rather than a team that you know might might be good one week and uh, not the next um, I mean Man, Man City's defence is fantastic I was, too I was so. going to say I mean like they're, they're beating Liverpool on all the statistics in terms of yeah, defensive totally. stats I mean, but people jump to Liverpool as the first thought. yeah I I would 100% go Man City. I mean, Man City are allowing six shots per game. This is this is unheard of. Like the last two seasons for Man City, uh, they've been seeing like six, seven shots per game. That, that, that's just not, the, you know, you go back in all, all the kind of stats you can have a look at uh, anywhere. You won't find teams uh, in the Premier League conceding so few. It's, it is really quite remarkable. And obviously the narrative about Guardiola turning up in the Premier League and being, you know, can, can it, will it work on a cold night in, in Stoke or whatever, that kind of nonsense. And it was like, yeah, obviously the first season was a bit of a, a bit of a adjustment period and he uh, flipped some players. And they've got plenty of money and they're buying great players, of course. But, you know, what he's, what he's done the last two seasons... Maybe it's overshadowed a little bit the last season because of what Liverpool Liverpool did in the Champions League and the fact they ran them so close. But you, you can't underestimate how how good Man City have been uh, certainly for the last two seasons in the league. They've they've been absolutely just a machine, and that's not really usual in the Premier League. So it's, it can be a little bit more uh, choppy, and other teams can get in the mix. But I would hundred percent be like very confident that Man City will retain title this season. Yeah. And you know you you would build any team out of you know if you're building an FPL team then you want Man City players in there as <laughs> many as possible yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're just really expensive that's the problem yeah yeah sure, sure. Um, but yeah I suppose the same question for the attack really I suppose we're going to talk about the same two teams but um, is it would it be attempts on goal attempts in the box again is it kind of the same thing yeah, uh, for strikers yeah I mean yeah these are these are you know these are like sim- simple proxies to kind of understand um, you know what teams are doing and you know don't get don't get fooled by uh, teams doing you know, going on a hot streak like what Solskjaer did at Man United um, in the period where they improved is he basically brought their level back to that of kind of top four contender. Um, the points that they gained and their goal difference during that point may have, may have 
made semi-deluded fans think that they were better than that. But they basically, <laughs> the, the, underlying, the underlying truth of the fact was that he brought them back to the level which is where, where they kind of are. You know, they are a top four contender. They're not better than that. They're not particularly worse than that. They're about that. Uh, under Mourinho, they drifted. <laughs> but it would be easy to just like, you know, get carried away with the results and think like, oh my God, this is an electric team and they're scoring many, many goals. And, you know, but just you know, understand the bigger picture uh, at all times and you'll, you'll have a good, a good idea of what's going on. That said, I don't think anyone could have predicted how badly it went for them at the end of the season. It was it was quite remarkable how, yeah. how quickly it turned it around. Shocking, and really and where, they, where they were above expectation beforehand, they, they ended up way below expectation they did. In, in that bad run. It was really good. The, the crash was, was quite striking, wasn't it? Like uh, just from going from being the form team to just awful. Um, yeah. So whilst we're on the topic of attacking players, I mean this can apply across the pitch. But um, so we know that you've got the, these links in Europe, and one of the things that we often talk about at the start of the season are players that come in. You know, they've had a thirty-goal season in, in Holland, or you know, they've, they've had loads of assists in the French league. But with you, with your links to these leagues, so for example, you've got players like Haller coming over to play for West Ham. Um, you've got Fournells who they've signed, not just West Ham players. But when we compare statistics between the Premier League and these kind of other these leagues across Europe are they comparable in a one-to-one ratio I would say in the main the big five leagues are pretty reliable um if you're going to if you're going to be complimentary you'd be complimentary to Spain like so I think Spain is the strongest league that isn't the Premier League um France always gets underrated a little bit and is is probably uh, I, I mean, I think I think France is a reliable source of players, no, no doubt. And I would happily sign players out of the French league without without any you know kind of like qualms about whether they would translate or not. Just from you know the kind of general perspective of it, I think Italy and Germany potentially are just like a notch behind, but not far. I mean, they're 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 still generally. I mean, Germany's had a little bit of a kind of like slump in like recent seasons, like last couple of years. They haven't done so well in Europe, German teams, but like they're they're still on the whole like playing football of a of a similar standard to that we we see in the other big five leagues. And you know, same same with Italy. I think it's curious when we get to other leagues, like. I, I think we had a few busts that came out of Holland. Yeah, everyone, you know, Suarez came over and everyone's like, right, this is great. Let's just buy players out of Holland. And then maybe Depay, who I still rate as a good player, uh, Memphis came over and you know, it didn't quite work out. And then Vincent Janssen obviously went to Tottenham and he was someone who you know, very obviously scored goals in Holland and didn't work out. People have become potentially a little bit more cautious about uh, Dutch football. But there seems, to be, there seems to be a trend for like Belgian football now. Uh, it's almost like the people have moved from uh, that league and, and they're now looking at Belgium. I know um, Aston Villa signed Wesley, who I think I'm not wildly in favour of that transfer. I think he spent a lot of money. I'm not, I don't think he's that good. And I know Southampton signed uh, Gineppo out of, um, I can't remember what club he came from, but he came out of the Belgian league. And even even in uh, Italy, in Italy, there's been a couple of signings like playing like really quite large money out of Belgium. And I think we're st- still like, it's hard to say like how good the Belgian league is much like it's hard to say how good the Dutch league is because there'll always be a, like a handful of teams at the top of the league that will demolish, uh, you know, the, the lesser teams at the bottom of the league. And you'll find out in all the minor European leagues that, you know, there'll often be, you know, Portugal is another division that you'll see that will happen frequently. You know, guys, Bruno Fernandes gets linked with every team in, in the world and his, you know, his metrics look insane just because like he's been, uh, you know, just firing in goals from 30 yards against probably quite weak teams. I mean, that that whole kind of like dynamic of, uh, you know, other leagues is quite interesting. And 
I'd say flip it back to where I started. I think like if if players are coming from the top five leagues, then I'd I'd be like happy just to just to kind of not bet on them to succeed, but like be more confident than not that the translation in itself shouldn't be an issue. I like that, yeah. So I suppose bottom line for FPL managers, you're safe with European imports this year. <laughs> yeah, maybe, if we're still going to be allowed to sign European players in the future. Who knows what the future holds? <laughs> we as FPL managers, we do look at a lot of XG now, uh, something which I find myself, you know, I find it very useful to identify players for potential goals and assists against teams with high expected goals against as well. So it, ma- it makes it a lot easier and it, does, it has worked out in the last few years. I mean, how common is it for players to outscore their XG or XA on a consistent basis? And is it kind of realistic to say they'll score it by, say, 30% over a long period of time? I don't think so, no. I mean, teams teams kind of do. It's, it's, it's slight, a slight effect that's been known for a while around like kind of super team effects. When, uh, say, a team like Bayern or um, Barcelona or Real Madrid are kind of like flying in their leagues, they've often like, overperformed their expected goals. But I don't think individual players necessarily do. As you may or may not be aware, we're doing a project at the moment with Stats Bomb where we're collecting all of like, Lionel Messi's data across his entire career in La Liga. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, uh, like uh, we that's going to take a while bloody hell uh, yeah yeah I mean, where'd you begin this is, this is about 2004 actually but yeah it's, um, <laughs> it's been quite a it. it's been quite a project to, to source all the video and stuff and he's someone who does like exceed his expected goals values like quite considerably over long periods of time however uh, he doesn't do it every season. Like, I think 12-13, Barcelona had a weird team in 12-13. Like, on the metrics, they didn't look very good, but they scored for fun. And Messi scored like doublers, expected goals, which is just hugely unlikely uh, for, for any player, really. And even by his standards, was exceptional. And then the following season, he kind of matched his expected goals. I think 13-14 was the season they were actually thinking, like the fans were thinking he was saving himself for the World for the World Cup and I looked at his expected values and it was like oh my god like he was actually like generating chances at the very same kind of rate as he was in his better seasons he was just finishing them in- incredibly well in the season before so um, it isn't realistic to expect like a player to uh, like do it season after season classic example at the start of last season I mean Mo Salah he got grief periods during last season didn't he because he was deemed to be not having as good a season yeah. well well you know, uh, yeah no he did get grief just uh, I, I always thought about that when we if you benchmark against an absolutely outstanding season nothing is going to seem as good but overall you'd, you'd take that from any player wouldn't you yeah exactly i mean and it was it was a nonsense of an idea to actually kind of like you know downplay his, his contributions like i mean i think by our numbers his good you know his th- th- 31 non-penalties season he you know his expected goals was 21 and last season his expected goals was 16 and he scored 19 so he was miles over in that one season and then he was slightly over like last season and then Mane is the, is the opposite like in 17-18 Mane was kind of like expected to score 10 and did and then last season he was expected to score 15 and scored 22 now how many people? How many people playing FPL are just going to pick Mane just blindly this season? Because like, oh yeah, he's brilliant. He scored a load of goals. Yeah, yeah I mean, I bet loads of people do that. And it, the smart play there would be to like, you know, be a little bit cautious there and think that it's more likely that he will like come back a little bit. That said, if Mane like creates an expected goal value of 15 throughout the season and scores 15 that's still going to be a really good season but there'll probably be a different player maybe Firmino will come alive this season and you know over overshoot his expected goals because I mean th- th- these are the things that you got to weigh up I suppose but like yeah don't get sucked in by the player that's that's 
had an absolute insane hot streak and expect them to do the same thing the next season. I think 30% is probably, probably a little bit too high to kind of estimate on that. I think, you know, season to season, it does fluctuate quite heavily. And, um, you know, if, if you get two seasons in a row, a player overachieves their, you know, expected goal value by 30%, then that would, that would raise my eyebrow at least. You might be, there might be a kind of like Killian and Bap season, um, that type of player, but they ain't, there ain't many of them around. <laughs> Quick, can I just, sorry, Jim, can I say, I love Killian Mbappe as a player. I think he's dynamite to watch. What, what did he, did he, because if I look at his games to goal ratio in France, was he the highest in Europe? Uh, I think you're right. He, he was in, absolutely crazy, wasn't he, last season? Uh, let yeah. me just bring it up. I've got my um, thing here. Two seconds. We've got a whole website full of stats. I'm just going to quickly look at look at it. Yeah, what did we have him at? We had him at 25 expected, and he scored 32. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Which, which was good. But and the thing with him is, 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 is the shot, uh, the value of the shots he was taking was extremely high, like 0.2. So oh. that's like really at the really at the top end. I mean, he's playing for PSG. There is a little bit of the effect that you, you know I've discussed before, oh. like potentially going on. But at the same time, this is brilliant. <laughs> what yeah. more do you want? What do you want more do you want from like your striker playing for your top team? He's absolutely loaded up. But then even then, like you know, as a, as a younger man, he scored by our model thirteen versus fifteen the season before. So you know that was seventeen, eighteen. He was still young, still decent contribution. But he definitely, yeah, definitely stepped up a gear last season. And you know, looks like if if there's anyone in the world who's Messi's heir apparent, then it's obviously him. That's not news there. Nice. Yeah, you've, you've raised, uh, Mane there, just, yeah, overachieving his expected goals, etc. But, uh, one player which, um, I'm kind of wondering about whether to bring into my FBL team this year. Actually, uh, Tillemans, he is one which overachieved his expected goals as well. What are your thoughts on him? What do you think he's gonna carry that on? Um, I would be mildly skeptical about that, I think. Um, I did have a look at Tillemans' stats at one point and I was, I thought, eh, these are, these are fine, but, they're not kind of blowing my mind. What did you score? Four from an expected goals of like kind of just over two. Kind of like three goals in the box. He's got a lot of shots from outside the box, which I don't necessarily like. Although yeah. Leicester kind of did last season, didn't they? I mean, not... Yeah, Madison uh, but, as well. Yeah, Madison was just an absolute kind of... Uh, you know, machine for these kind of like long range shots. It'd be interesting how they progress under, under Rogers. If he actually kind of tries to, tries to shut that down a little bit. Like I think Vardy's expected goals are quite good last season. Um, and he's, he's, he's kind of played that you could easily forget. You know, you could easily just think, oh, I'm not, not, they're not interested in Vardy or whatever it is, but he's, he's probably someone who's, who's quite reliable in a kind of like relatively kind of cheap. Is he relatively cheap? He's probably not now. He's, he's not now. No, <laughs> he, he did get quite expensive. He has gone down a little bit from uh, a couple of years ago, though. <laughs> Vardy is, I think it's fair to say, Iceman, Vardy is one of those players. He's priced every year at this midpoint between a, a premium player and a cheaper player, right. and most people balance their team with one or two expensive strikers and then a cheaper or two cheaper. So he, he kind of, um, and I was going to tell me if this is inaccurate, he, he kind of like, he's quite a difficult one to pick uh, until he comes into form and then everyone kind of <laughs> wants him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's a sort of player at the start when you're planning a team, it's like, oh, I'd like him, but I can't quite justify it. But then, like I say, yeah. turns it on and it's like, ah. Oh, Wish it did. Yeah, there are a yeah. few going for him this year, actually. I mean, I know, I know you raised um, Leicester there and how Rodgers is creating that team. What are your thoughts on Perez as well? Because he's moved there. And do you think he's going to twin up with Vardy? And Yeah, I was a little bit... Um... He found it felt a little bit like because Paris scored loads of goals at the end of the season, didn't he? So yeah. it's like season his season total suddenly looked good, and it was like right, yeah, twelve, 12 <laughs> he got in the end. 
Yeah, and it, but, it, but it was like for most of the season, it wasn't the news. It's like no one's interested in Perez. I think he's fine. I think he's like a decent player. But that I would just advise a small caution because it did feel that was that was a like kind of short burst of form oh, rather than you know rather than something you know rather than something he's shown like year in year out. So it'll be interesting to see how he how he fits into uh, Leicester. So I mean, I, I always like Kilichi in that show, but it's just not gone right for him for whatever reason. So you know, he's he potentially uh, benefit from being you know part of the Man City machine, and like that might have like inflated his numbers a little bit. And maybe not in a different team, he's he's not quite the same player. But I mean, we don't know what happens behind the scenes. There could be any any number of reasons why a player doesn't necessarily find electric form at a new club, but. Yeah, it's it's, inter- it's interesting. I think Leicester a team like Rogers is clearly a capable manager. He, he's he's got his head screwed on. Is they could easily kind of kick upwards and and kind of tap at the heels of um you know your Arsenal's and your Man United's in that kind of fifth sixth kind of slot and yeah, you know potentially poten- <laughs> potentially kind of like upset the apple cart a little bit. But you know they they'll be interesting to watch in that regard. Yeah, and I, I know you mentioned that the teams they often come back to their expected level of expected goals, uh, but players not as much. Um, I know you mentioned last year that Fulham should survive relegation, but they didn't. What went wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like with the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to kind of understand like what's happened there. I mean, they came up uh, with like really quite a small squad, and then had to, they kind of had to go out and buy like lots of players so they did and they bought hmm. lots of quite expensive players and on paper they look like they bought good players you know it's easy to think like right these players are clearly good enough for the premier league but obviously it never gelled and for whatever reason you know once once things start going bad maybe just the group wasn't cohesive we've seen over time teams like say burnley and bournemouth who you know you probably look at a burnley and bournemouth and look at their players and think like well you know man for man they don't necessarily look uh, like they're, you know, as 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 kind of like impressive as say Fulham signings were, um, but for whatever reason, probably a lot to do with the team ethic and how that you know the st- a consistent style of play they've managed to like deposit themselves happily within the Premier League and stay up for multiple seasons. Now, obviously, Fulham tried to kind of um, solve all their problems in one fell swoop, and I don't think they had any choice in that. I think that's one of the things. You know, it's easy to look at Villa and say, like, ah, oh, you know, they're buying all these players. They're doing a Fulham. I think Villa are in a similar situation. They actually need to buy players, so you know, they're not in a situation where it's like, right, we're just spending money wantonly and uh, upgrading to, you know, to just stay in the Premier League. It's like, yeah, they actually do have to buy players uh, just just to like, you know, fill out their squad because of you know various loans finishing and things like that. So, yeah, it's um. Yeah, Fulham, it, it didn't work. And, you know, I think the, the, the classic line to draw under Fulham season is when you've, when you've had three managers, that's just, it's just never a good sign. You know sign, it's never it? going to work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many managers have you had? Three. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a bad season. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so following on from this, can you, for example, put any relevance to stats uh, after just five game weeks of the season? So how big should the data sample be in order for us to start trusting a player in your eyes um i think when we've kind of like certainly the early days of um of like the kind of starts for starts in football now we always kind of felt 10 games was um i remember like people saying like you know you shouldn't like build like put like you know you shouldn't build a league table on one week because it's yeah. like 
there was that theory for years. It was like, you can't do that. It's silly, pointless. Mm. I think from a like, kind of stats perspective, we always felt like 10 weeks was about the time where you, where, where the, the home and away split and the, you know, the strength of schedule had settled down to a degree. So you could actually look at a team and be like, right, okay, I think they're, they're probably this good. And I mean, it's not always the case. Bournemouth's a good example last season. They, they, their first 10 games were easy on comparatively easy you know they did they um and they racked up loads of points and everyone was singing about Bournemouth being a good team then they had a run where they played all the big teams and as per usual with Bournemouth they struggled against the big teams in the main and didn't pick up many points so yeah I think I think from a team perspective like certainly I mean you you want to be moving before then don't you (laughs) you want to be like making decisions way way before we're making transfers every week so yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so it's it it is it is difficult but from you know from a kind of like uh metric perspective to get like a a solid idea of where you're at and again like fpl is very similar to gambling in that regard you know it's easy to say like well wait for the lead to settle down before you know before you actually make you know listen to your models and make some bets or something it's like nope (laughs) there are matches there's yeah we need to get into this we need to do things so yeah um i think player wise it's it's difficult to say really isn't it i mean i would i would certainly if i was playing fbl i'd be, I'd be very much tracking uh expected goals and shot volumes and all of these things and just you know keep keeping a close eye on it hazard's a good one hazard's a good example i mean he did score a lot of goals in the end last season by his own standards um and he created a lot of assists but i think it was easy to get seduced by Hazard because he scored a lot of goals early, didn't he? He scored like seven or eight goals in the first couple of months of the season. He did, yeah. And so every time you looked at like a league table or, or you know, a player table of, or whatever it was, you'd see him up there and he'd be like, oh yeah, Hazard's having a good season. And then he very much slowed down from there at that point onwards. Yeah. And so you're just being aware of those kind of things, you know, like, you know, it would, would be an entirely logical way to approach things. And I'm sure all the, all the FP, FPL people are already well on top of that and, and know, know what they're doing. But oh, yeah, yeah, these, yeah, these, these things are, you know, don't, don't get seduced by like early season form. If it, if it slightly drifts away and, you know, that would be something I'd think about. Yeah. Hazard is known as an FPL troll by a lot of FPL managers. Is he? Yeah. Really? He, he just lets you down when you really want him to perform. <laughs> and yeah, we're kind of glad he's gone. I, he's, I mean, he's performed well over the years, but yeah, he has let us down quite a lot. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But, um, I mean, what players do you know that have had stats? I'm just going to the Premier League now. I know you spoke about Messi and uh, Mbappe, etc. With uh, the stats behind them and have even matched or exceeded their expectations. Like, do you have any players in mind for this season with good expected stats behind them to exceed or match them? I'm trying to think now. I think I've, I've, I might have used up all my good examples. But um, like, so who who could I say? Who could I say? Assist-wise. We're looking assist for gold from good. you. We need some nice juicy some goals. players, yeah. And we're, we're hoping they're going to be really cheap so we can fit them in. Yeah, who's, who was under in goals uh, last season? They kind of, they all kind of departed the league, mainly. Ben Tech, well, Ben Tech, hey man, bloody hell. <laughs> he, he, he is cheap. I tell you what, he would be a great asset to have. Crystal Palace got some good fixtures to start the season. Uh, yeah, I, I feel sorry for Ben Tech. Well, one of the, one, of, I do a little bit on him in one of the, the courses, the course that we do, just because he scored like three goals for an expectation of something like twelve in the last two seasons, uh, and it, it, I just. 
I don't know. They're, they're, in any sample of you know statistical sample, there's always going to be outliers at either end. You know, if Lionel Messi's at the other end, like can have habitually like shooting uh, and scoring goals at a nice rate, then Benteke's back at the other end. I don't think I can recommend him as a pick, but he's <laughs> it, but he's but he's someone who's he's he used to be quite good, didn't he? he used to score. Yeah. He used to score like you know his feet. And, Fifteen yeah. goals he got in sixteen, seventeen seasons. So. Yeah, yeah, he was he was quite decent. Um, I don't know what's what's gone on with him. Danny Ings is someone who was a couple of goals under that maybe maybe could come forward. I don't oh, know. He's, he's always um, injured. You can't go for him. <laughs> that's very true. It is a problem. So uh, yeah, maybe. I wonder. Who, I wonder who. Um, don't know who Chelsea are going to play as striker. That's oh, they've got three options now, and they're all the same price: Giroud, Abraham, and uh, Patshuayi. It's a tough one for them. It's a wait and so see. So G- Giroud could be an interesting one then, because he could he could quite feasibly figure. Uh, you know, a header of the ball. Lamp- I know Lampard's a little bit kind of a progressively thoughtful manager, I think, maybe, but he's still going to like a nice number nine in there, surely someone to get his head on it. And there was that one season when Mesut Ozil's uh, made an insane amount of assists for uh, Giroud. So, yeah, if, if Giroud starts starts with Chelsea, Chelsea were kind of like a bit of a sleeper team, I think, from an expected goals perspective uh, last season, because they had some really bad results and, you know, uh, Sarri got some quite a lot of stick for for the way they played and some of the hammerings they took. But slowly but surely, their metrics were really quite solid. And even though they haven't made transfers per se, they have got Pulisic coming in. Um, uh, they've still got a lot of good players. They're they're, a, they're just a kind of like quiet one. If you know, as long as Lampard isn't a complete bust, uh, then you know, I'd, I'd probably keep quite a close eye on Chelsea and uh, you know, fancy them to be. <sighs> probably they're probably favored to be like the third best team in in the league this season i know they finished uh, i think they finished third last season but yeah. like they, they were never particularly regarded throughout the season were they you know they no, yeah. and there's obviously like the expectation that you know lampard hasn't got the experience to to manage in this league and sure he may struggle we just don't know but i think there's still like plenty of quality in that squad and so if Giroud starts the first couple of games and turns out being like you know his main striker then he's probably someone that might be slightly undervalued maybe yeah, they're all fairly cheap Chelsea as well so yeah we will keep an eye on them so let's, let's think about some crossing shooting stats now and the, the big I suppose a big uh, theme in FPL last season was attacking wing backs early on we had Mendy um, Alonso before he seemed to die uh, and then we had obviously Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold who just were freaks in the end providing the crosses for Liverpool um, really good avenues for assist points doubling up with cleanies in, um, in FPL yeah um, do you know what percentage of crosses are usually turned into a chance for a goal? And, and do you know what the average amount of shots are a player needs to score a goal? We can divide that into two if you need yeah, to. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, if you if people have done studies on this, and I've, I've, again, it's a little small part of the module in the course that we do, uh, you find from most locations it's about, like, kind of 2 to 3%. Like, you don't want to be making lots of deep, uh, you know, crosses from kind of, like, you know, 40 yards away from the kind of, touch line you know the end the end line and you know aiming for the back stick kind of thing that really is a kind of low percentage play man city are the perfect perfect team to kind of like throw back that any ideas about crossing what you want to do is devise a form of football where you're uh, creating lots of cutbacks and ground crosses as high up the pitch as you can uh, and they can be um, converted uh, at something like more like seven percent of the time uh, a, a cutback or a cross will go actually turn into a goal so i wouldn't be very interested in you know from a stylistic perspective in in teams that just kind of like you know lumped it in from you know very near the t- 
very near the kind of like uh, side of the pitch and hoped. It's, it's just not, again, that kind of thing, you know, firing it in from way deep is about as likely as scoring from like 30, 35 yards. So you can do better, surely. You can move in a little bit closer. You can do, you can, you know, create better chances just by passing higher at the box. And then you do see it time and time again, you know, the better teams, you think of the Barcelona teams of, of uh, various, various eras, um, they always pass the ball and pass the ball and pass the ball. And, you know, that, that extra pass to make sure you get into the right location and, and, you know, create high value chances with regards to like the average amount of shots a player needs to score a goal. I think I'm going to, I'll convert that to kind of my, my terminology and like kind of conversion rates, like the absolute top players, uh, sorry, the absolute top, top kind of like poacher types. They'll probably convert, convert goals that say, I don't know about one in five, like twenty percent of the time, maybe up to twenty-five percent of the time, and that's a good, that's a good, really good, ready reckoner to see if your like striker is hot or not. As in, will this recur? You know, if if someone goes goes gets to November and they've scored, I don't know, ten goals from ten goals from like twenty-five shots, <laughs> you hmm. can without even looking to expected goals or going going any deeper than that, you can probably think, okay, this is going to slow down. This isn't going to stay at this kind of high rate. I mean, players, I think um, uh, Ruben Neves was the guy who was kind of like the worst, worst is <laughs> comparable, but like the lowest average value of his shots last season. And they were kind of like just over 2% shots, like on average to all the shots he took. So he's taken a lot of shots from outside the box, a lot from very deep and not, not necessarily uh, very effective. I think he scored a free kick or two and some penalties, but he didn't actually score from open play. So, Overall in the league, like, you know, the average of nine, ten percent of shots uh, are scored. And again, if you're looking at teams, if you're just looking at team stats, um, if you find teams that are extremely low or extremely high above that, then that, that can be a useful kind of indicator. Andre Vish Boas, before he got sat by Tottenham uh, in, I think, December 2013, I think Tottenham had been converting their uh, shots at about four percent so like under like half what you'd expect. Soldado and Paulinho were like undershooting their expectation. And you know, that maybe they would have improved over time. You didn't have the most efficient uh, system uh, in play there. But, you know, you can certainly get an idea about, like, if teams are going to cool down or heat up a little bit, even just from a simple kind of, like, uh, conversion, conversion statistics. And it's something I've noticed a lot of times. And as well, often you need, a, you need a kind of conversion boost. If you want to win a league, like when Leicester win the league, they were converting, I think, 15% of their shots. Yeah. And, you know, it, most teams that win the league have... As well as being good, obviously, which is you know general, general kind of requirement to win league, they will also have like these little kind of like statistical boosters that that help them out just uh, over a short period of time or you know maybe uh, half a season or so. Like um, when Chelsea won the league in sixteen seventeen, they won all those games in a row in in the autumn. Like, it was quite improbable that they would actually do that, but they managed to you know just like ride ride that kind of wave and uh you know scored goals at a higher rate than expected and they conceded very few goals during that run so you know little indicators there but yeah about nine or ten percent of goals uh shots turn into goals right now james my mind is kind of blown of what you're saying is absolutely brilliant stuff i'm loving it i mean I, i listen to your podcast as i mentioned i know you do your stats bomb courses as well which some of them have been in london as well recently the introduction to football analytics so yeah yeah could, could you just kind of just for because i'm sure the listeners are minds are blown as well could you just tell the listeners what this involves and do you reckon that the fpl managers would benefit from your course 
I think so. I think we've had um, uh, we've got another one coming up in October. We've got one in Dallas. Yeah, Ted's doing that one in um, August the eleventh or something. Mm. So if you've got any fair FPL players in Dallas, oh, get there's loads. Yeah, there's loads in America. <laughs> yeah, it's all, all over. Mm. Right, and um, and another one. I think is October the tenth or eleventh. We've got a conference in London, and then we're doing a, doing a course the day before. Yeah, I mean, we we cover all the, all topics that we've talked about here, like. Um, you know, expect the first module is just expected goals. Let's learn about expected goals. You know, how how often do you think these shots are uh, scored? And we do a little kind of game, or a little like thing where we test and see what people think, and then teach about that. And then there's there's attacking styles that we talk about, like and then defensive styles. Ted does a little bit on set pieces because that's his his kind of passion. He's very you know very very interested in set pieces and thinks yeah. there are lots of edges that you know, people can get just by being a little bit more efficient by set pieces and he's not wrong they really are I mean most teams don't do as much on set pieces as they potentially could and he's so and shocked I, about that as well isn't he he can't get <laughs> over that one <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's true though I mean you do you, you, you hear things about the place and you, you hear teams do like you know five minutes at the end of a training session or, or the, this is one thing that gets me oh you don't want, to get, don't want the players to get bored <laughs> and it's like, oh my god yeah right okay is that You're what teams ten- say then yeah, I've, I've definitely heard this you know which, which teams at, at least at least uh, i've heard it anecdotally <laughs> <laughs> but like certainly like you did it baffles me that you know that you can be a professional sportsman and you've like oh, it's bored i don't want to do that it's boring yeah, oh, like, wow. no, what, half an hour, man? You're on good money. Come on, spend <laughs> half an hour. Spend half an hour doing Dude, these set pieces, and then maybe you'll score more goals at the weekend, and then maybe you'll get more bonuses, and then maybe you'll win things. And you know, I don't know. It's just it, they, one of the whole things about like football that, that the stats bomb ethos kind of uh, envelops is is just like be more efficient, like evaluate your processes, and maybe maybe there are aspects of the way uh, of the game uh, you could actually improve and and be more efficient. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of it with that. But yeah, definitely, I think people would enjoy the course. We've had really positive feedback. People who've been on it are generally you know really happy to be there. And you get to use Stats IQ, which is our kind of uh, our, uh, tool and you know, with all the little gadgets and visualizations that you see on the site, will like housed within it, and you know that's part. You get some access to that as part of the course. So it's a good day. It's it's good fun, and I definitely recommend anyone to come along if they want to. Is it always in London, or is it anywhere else? Um, well, we've done. What have you done? We did. We did Bath, Bath not far. We did our debut one in Bath. That's where our office is. It's in Bath, and we did yeah. our debut one there. Uh, maybe maybe we'll, we'll do another one there at some point. I don't know. I, we, we've, those are the two that we've got scheduled at the moment. We'll probably wheel it out and do a few more next year. That's probably going to be it for this year. But like, I mean, I went. To, you know, talking about like you know getting involved in this in this world and uh, you know being so turning this into my job. You know, I was in Los Angeles like two weeks ago doing a course out there, which was you know amazing, and I wouldn't have ever thought that you'd have that kind of opportunity. So really, really exciting to be able to do that. And, yeah. Iceman, just quickly, is there is there money in the kitty to send me over to uh, to Mexico for that conference? No money, mate. There must be. Well, I think I think I could probably go, but um, we'll talk off air. We'll we'll talk off air. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fairly confident about that. (laughs) Right. Okay. Yeah. No, it sounds fantastic. I love the idea of of educating other people in this as well. I've no doubt that people would be very interested to hear this. Okay, so um, a few questions left, but I still think some interesting stuff to come. So how much should home and away games affect team performance? And is there a bigger swing in home and away performance based on table position? So, for example, in FPL, everyone says Arsenal is terrible away, great at home. 
Palace better away than home? Is it more team-dependent home or away form, or can you generalise based on table possession? Mm, not sure on that. I mean, the, the, the kind of home advantage is real. You know, it's, it's about, you can measure it at about kind of 0.4 of a goal. And, you know, I, I, I kind of inadvertently landed at the same same conclusion when I once did a calculation and it was like four shots. So, like, you know, average of a home team might be... Yeah, average amount of shots in a game is like 13 per team. Like the home team, you'd expect 15 and the away team, you expect 11. So there's, there is a kind of like, you know, a notable advantage there. I don't know. You're right about Arsenal. Uh, interesting about, I mean, Emery had that one season, didn't he, where he, where he didn't record a win in, in Sevilla away from home, which I, I think I looked at this halfway through the season because it intrigued me. And it was like, is, is Emery just bad away from home? Because obviously Wenger turned to be like hopeless away from home in these last couple of seasons. But um, the rest of uh, Emery's seasons at Sevilla were, were kind of fine or like vague, relatively normal. So I didn't feel like I could kind of like grab something about that. But it, it does feel like there's something going on with that, it's, but it's hard to say exactly what. Uh, this is inter- interesting about the Emery thing there. I didn't know no, about did the you, Seville did, thing. I was going to say, did you know about that crap away record I smashed? <laughs> no, I didn't know. I felt, I felt my soul just, yeah, me too. And just burn just... and die a little bit inside then. Yeah. So, That's that, yeah, thank, thanks for that, James. We've enjoyed you on this podcast until now. <laughs> Here's to another season on the road, Iceman. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, moving back to statistics. So, are there going to be any new statistical measurements? Um, I have heard something about expected saves. Is this something that is going to yeah. be captured? Yeah, I mean that's that's something that's been around for like quite some while. Um, like the, the kind of like if expected goals is kind of like the pre-shot evaluating shots at the moment of impact, then um, your kind of expected save stroke post-shot XG models kind of like are trying to do the opposite and work out, you know, how likely uh, a keeper is to, to save it, uh, to save, uh, you know, shots. And they, you know, do, do provide some insight there. We built one, um, we built, we built one with our data and uh, we've got a little bit more information about goalkeeper location, which is kind of useful, useful to put it, put into, into these things and, and try and evaluate. But there's, there's loads of ideas around. I mean, I think, I think people are looking more about passing and like the value of every event on the pitch. That that's that's the kind of way that we're kind of moving forward with with the modelling and uh, kind of advanced like statistical ideas around football. As I mentioned, I think at the start, ideas around tracking data. People like really want to kind of get in, stuck into that and evaluate things uh, through that lens. But which is which is not easy. You know, these are fairly difficult tasks uh, uh, to actually generate reliable insight from. It's it's interesting in my time. Uh, being involved in this, the, the low fruit is gone. The early days of Statsbomb and the blogs that you know, lots of good people used to write blogs about, like the kind of simple things, like the, uh, probably quite normal now to the FPL world, like the, the shots stuff that we talked about and things. Uh, you could you can you can get insight, but, but this is it, it's not cutting edge just to you know talk about shots and and things. You've got to look at like the bigger picture, and certainly I think. For the amateur analyst who just wants to get involved in things, and they really should, because you know uh, it's, it is a fun uh, prospect. You know, getting involved in data and, and building visualizations and trying to understand football from a statistical perspective. Uh, but the you know from an insight perspective and, and actually developing uh, right really smart work, it's it's not as easy as it once was because the field has moved on and. You know that's 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 just the reality of it. There was a kind of like there was, there was a kind of idyllic time back in like 2013, 2014, where you, you could just you could just write about someone's shots and that was fine. 
<laughs> and I used yeah. to do that quite a lot. It was like, it was, that was, that was, that was like, you could get plenty of insight from that. And it was fun and it was interesting. And then the expected goals revolution took over and it was like, really? no, was you need to it. move on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you, you're capturing the expected saves on your stats from IQ, is that? Uh, it's just part of the data because we, we, we log where the, where, where the shot is going. We log where the yeah. keeper and the defenders are. So, like, you know, it's a, basically a modeling question to actually build, like, values from that uh, to estimate whether a goalkeeper is uh, conceding more or less than you would expect. I mean, uh, David De Gea is an interesting point, uh, case point here. Obviously, in 2017-18, uh, he was heroic. I mean, Man United were not the second-best team in the league that season, even though they finished second. Uh, David Hay was by far the best goalkeeper yeah. in this, you know, he, uh, he, uh, he saved something like I think it was like 14 goals more than expectation now it's very very like what I was talking about with Messi and the, the scoring you know the, and the one season he was miles over and the next season he was kind of like level David Hay made some high profile mistakes as the season went on uh, this season but generally was still solid and ahead of what we expected him to be, yeah. you know, in the, in the aggregate. Funny enough, Hugo Lloris as well. Hugo Lloris had a season where he, some of the uh, Spurs fans got on his back quite a lot because of some erraticism. But in the aggregate, he actually saved more than you'd expect. So, you know, these the, again, the ingredients to the, 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 not the perfect season for Man United there, but, you know, if, if your keeper's saving more than ex- expected, and again, for Liverpool, Alisson, uh, certainly in the first half of the season, saved way more than expected, and then he kind of slightly cooled down as the second half of the season went on. But, you know, if, if you're going to win titles, if you're going to finish in the top two, you kind of need all these little things to line up and... Um, uh, yeah, obviously for Man United and Liverpool in the last two seasons consecutively, their goalkeepers have made, made a big impact towards that. Yeah, brilliant. It's interesting about the Lloris uh, thing because a lot of people were considering him for this season as well. And uh, did you did you say at the start of the pod that you were going to give me access to all of this? Um, stats from- <laughs> I think you did, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, if, if only, if only, mate. Uh, uh, that's, that, oh, it was worth that's, a go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, I can dodge that by saying it's above my pay grade. Oh, I love the politics, Ice Man. You never cease to amaze me of your barefaced oh, cheek. Always got to try, aren't you? <laughs> incredible. Um, okay, um, any James? Any big Premier League predictions ahead of the new season? Uh, I just think City will crush it, and they'll just, they'll just they'll just do the same things they did last season. You don't even need stats to say that. Yeah. So no, no, it's just no, sort but, of a given, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but but they, the thing is, they're so good. That's the thing. Like on on the, the stats perspective, they they're so good. Like they they get they're just so superior to everyone else. Liverpool are the clear second best team, but. Like this, we still rate them. I think by spectacles about half a goal behind Man City per game, which is huge. When you consider, yeah. like, um, I think Arsenal, Man, Man United, and Tottenham were all kind of like around about I don't know plus point three per game, uh, like plus point one to point three. I think they were like uh, per game uh, last season, and like Man City are plus point five ahead of Liverpool who are way ahead of those teams. It's just an obscene amount, it's obscene distance of how good they are. So again, like I think Liverpool will like, will 
be roughly as good by underlying metrics. So I do think they're very good, but they'll still be like 10 points behind Man City. And then the whole top rest of the top six race is really quite interesting. As I hinted earlier with Lampard and like, I think Chelsea's squad quality will probably do quite well for them. We just don't know about Lampard. Uh, Man United still seem to be massively in, tra- in transition and as do Arsenal. And Tottenham kind of have, Tottenham might kind of have to re- rebound against uh, probably their worst underlying metrics for like three or four seasons. Really odd season last year. I mean, they they had a lot of injuries and, you know, they do need to make signings this summer. It looks like that's what they're actually going to do. They do need to kind of like reinvigorate the team. But, you know, if you just took a pure stats view on Tottenham, you'd be saying, okay, they're, they're not that far ahead of, say, Man United and Arsenal. I think structurally, they're potentially in better shape to actually point upwards than maybe Man United and Arsenal are right now. But there's, you know, there's, there's variance around these, these ideas and, you know, only takes a kind of like a you know, run of six or eight games where things just don't go your way. And you can get, you can find yourself like many points behind where you expect to be. I mean, football is it's, if it was if it was easy to predict it all then you know uh, there'd be no fun in it at yeah. all let's get an audacious like prediction from you who do you think outside of the top six is going to breach that line or who do you think will get relegated or well yeah. funny, funny enough in the office we had the relegation conversation um the other day and it, and it was actually quite hard it doesn't look like there's the usually there's there's a there's a couple of teams that you feel quite confident like won't won't cut you know cut the mustard I think Sheffield United are better than probably most people will quite happily write them off because again, you, like, like say you're, you're Burnley or you're Bournemouth, you might look at their squad and think like, oh, I, I don't really fancy this 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 team from a squad perspective, from a player's perspective. But they're really quite. I think they're really quite a shrewd outfit, and they they might they might do a little bit more, a um, little bit more than you'd expect. Like Brighton are possibly vulnerable because although I think Graham Potter's a good manager. They, it's, it's a transition. Everyone, everyone seems to think that Chris Hewton was, you know, like an old school manager who just wasn't, you know, didn't have fresh ideas, wasn't necessarily playing the players they've signed. And I don't know, we, we could find out that maybe he was doing everything he could just to kind of like lift them over the line. Um, I think for, uh, you know, no more than a hunch Brighton, the one team I, I, I feel could be vulnerable to, to steering downwards maybe slightly unexpectedly but then there isn't the obvious candidate for just like oh this team's this team's not good maybe villa i don't know maybe villa they've got a lot of kind of transition to kind of get through so villa are probably i don't know if they're favorites to go down but they, they possibly could be um top set top six i think leicester wolves everton. could easily easily knock on the door yeah everton everton are certainly they've still their squad's still too big it's still in flux yeah, isn't it massive, right? yeah they don't. What are they? What are they doing? I mean, it's really difficult to kind of like understand the the, the philosophy of what Everton are doing. But the, I think the football they put out on the pitch last season was was good enough. If the, you know, if they nail a couple of signings, maybe they could step forward. I don't know. If if I had to bet, I think I'd say Leicester. I I think I'd say Leicester to be the the ones to kind of step step up into the top six. But yeah, I mean. Uh, the Premier League is very set, but there are all there are these, you know, the kind of tiers that everyone exists within. But there, there's always there's always a, a surprise around the corner. But it won't be Man City not winning the league. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you heard it here first, listeners. James York has officially announced that Brighton will be getting relegated this season. <laughs> <laughs> That's my funny little. I just don't know about it. <laughs> so we'll see. So um, I want to bring it back to quickly as a stats man. Do you think that form or fixtures is more valuable in terms of FPL? I mean, like people go over this all the time in FPL. Which I bet one? they do. Yeah, 
it's um it's interesting isn't it yeah uh, fixtures 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 i mean i i can't get away from the, the idea of you know like man so you've got two home games against the low you know bottom three kind of thing that the isn't going to be relevant of course it is. I mean, I, well, I don't care who they start or you know any of the big teams have got like teams matches at home against the bad teams. Then I don't really care whether their strikers are in, are in form or not. I think I, I I don't know. I don't have a concrete answer. I'd probably veer towards fixtures just because I think that's probably probably more important. What am I right? Am I wrong? What's you, right? <laughs> to me, you're right. I, I do follow the fixtures. So, but to other yeah. people, it's form. So it's different right. per, per manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's all part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm wondering what players you're expecting to do well for the season 2019-2020. I think, to be fair, we wrote this one down. There's been a sprinkling of this throughout the uh, the podcast. But are there any other players that statistically um, our FPL managers could be looking at? I mean, we know the Marnes, We know the Salas. Is there any other gems out there that you look at and think that's a player that's going to do really well? In, in, in other words, James, can you just give us your FPL team if you were? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can. I, I, I kind of looked through the new signings just to see who stood out, and obviously Undombele stands out hugely for Tottenham as as someone who who is a genuinely top class midfielder and is coming into the league. And obviously, Rodri, who I spoke about earlier, I feel similarly towards. But yeah, I think Undombele just. Through the pure ignorance of people thinking that his name is a bit like Dembele and the fact that he's taken Dembele's role in the yeah. squad, people are going to be expecting him to be that, and I don't think he's that at all. He's, he's a hold, he, holding, isn't he? Holding. No, player? no, he's no, he's 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 more two way, and he's he's, okay. he's got he's got an assist box, in him. Yeah. He's got an assist in him. He's he's quite a creative passer. He's you know he's pretty energetic. Don't get me wrong, as you'd expect from someone in that role. But he's he does do a, a lot of different things. He's really you know he he could be. He could be someone who, like, you'll find like racking up a few assists as we go along. You know, I don't think he's going to score many goals, so you know, he probably isn't an, ob- you know, an obvious pick for for FPL. But he could really shore shore up Tottenham's midfield. And you know, that like I said before about how Tottenham had, like their metrics were kind of mediocre last season compared to what came before. He is just like the ideal person that you'd actually plong into their midfield and say like, right, thank God we've got a midfielder now. So yeah, I I, I like him from that perspective. Look out from Dombele then. Okay, so that actually brings us to the uh, to the end of the of the podcast questions, and it's very interesting that we finished on a prospective new Tottenham signing. I don't know if that was <laughs> planned, but it, it, it feels it feels yeah. It That's just the way it went. It's just the That's way just, it went. just the way it ended on Dombele. You, no, you give you give me the questions, I gave you the answers. Very, it's very just the way it went. <laughs> um, James, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been Pleasure. absolutely fantastic. It's been fascinating it's been uh, listening to your, your view on things and very nice to talk about things outside of FPL uh, from a stats perspective as well. Do you want to just, just plug everything that you're doing, tell the listeners where they can contact you on social media and websites and just give you the floor yeah. to do that? Okay, I'm at Jaya1970 on Twitter. Um, StatsBomb is the company I work for, and we've got a website. We have like loads of content. Uh, we have like five. But I think this week, we this year, we might sorry, this season, we might be like, getting even more kind of like six, seven, eight articles per week that we put out on there. There's a guy called Mike Goodman who wrote, who's our editor, and um, there's always there's always something interesting. Like for, if you're an FBL fan and you know you're just interested in following the stats and just getting broader ideas around it, then you should 
get involved, follow Stats Bomb, and you know, just get an idea of what we do. And we have a podcast that we have every week. Me and me and Ted Knutson, who's the CEO of Stats Bomb, just chat about. We do transfers in the summer, and then we kind of like just talk talk about the league and like all the kind of things that I talked about today. Uh, we talk about you know, as the season goes on, and that's that's growing. That's quite popular. So yeah. so all good. So you know, look out for anything Stats Bomb related, and. You know, it's, it's it's all good fun, and yeah, we re- we do release football data that people can learn how to. Um, if you go to our website, there's in the research center, there's a place where you can get like football data for the last World Cup, the last Women's World Cup, last Women's uh, FAWSL season, and as you say, as I said earlier, we're releasing all of Lionel Messi's uh, data. Uh, for his La Liga career at the moment, so if you ever like wanted to get involved in like analysing football data and you know wondered where to start, then we've we've kind of like given a route into that by releasing all these kind of data files out there that people can get their hands on. I think that's it, lads. <laughs> yeah, it Absolutely. has been brilliant having you on, Jane. We really appreciate you coming on. It's been we've extracted as much as we can from you. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, thank you again for yeah. for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Some, some great learning. A lot of our listeners are very, very pro stats, and uh, hopefully that's going to help to influence your selections for the coming FPL season. Just a few, a few bits of housekeeping to finish. So, uh, as usual, uh, you've given us great support via patreon.com forward slash FPL surgery. All support is is greatly appreciated for the upcoming season. We've got some brilliant new prizes coming through and opportunities to win those on there, as well as our popular Slack channel. You can also visit our website, uh, fplsurgery.com. As usual, find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Reddit. Twitter, of course, is where we do most of our chat at FPL Surgery, and you can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. All emails, info at fplsurgery.com. Iceman, any final words before we head into the new FPL season? Uh, just you know, get on Statsbomb, statsbomb.com and their podcast. They are really interesting to listen to. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Good luck for the new season. I'm off to Mexico to learn my stats. <laughs>